Right. Well, good morning, Doxa Church. You guys good? Yes. A couple people are good. That's great. Hopefully the people on the live stream are more excited. But guys, it is great to see you. If you're new, guys, welcome again. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors. It's great to have you part of our Doxa family today. Because we are in the middle, or not the middle, we're in the middle of a study, the very beginning of the book of Genesis, okay? So grab your Bible and open up to Genesis chapter 3, okay? I say this kind of all the time that every family, guys, has its thing, right? And our thing, if you're newer to Doxa, is as we gather like this, we, we gather around the Bible and we seek to hear from God and through his presence and power in our lives, leave here doing something about what we've heard, thereby becoming the men and women that he has created us to be. And so if you're here and you don't have a Bible, we would love to to give you a Bible as a gift. And so you can go on your way out to the welcome space. We have a, a wall full of them. You can grab one or two for your family as just a gift. But the last six weeks, we've been in the first three chapters of Genesis, okay? In last Sunday, Ronnie kind of shared with us the account of the first wedding in Genesis chapter two. And as he did this, okay, he showed us the great design of marriage and the glory and the goodness and just like the gift that marriage truly is. And what we're going to do today is we're going to spend another week talking about marriage. This time, not from like a design perspective, but more of like the struggle of marriage. All right, that while marriage is a, a really beautiful thing, for those of you who are married, longer than probably like a week, you realize that marriage can be a really difficult thing. It can be a battle. Now, I'll, I'll say this, okay, for those of you who are single, and maybe you're, you're wishing that you were married and you may be thinking like, man, okay, one marriage ser sermon was like hard enough for me to get through, but two weeks in a row, come on, dude. Here's what I'll say to you. Yes, we're gonna do another week, okay? But I wanna tell you this, all right? Many of you are, are not married, all right? But statistically, many of you will get married at some point. All right, so what this means is that you might be tempted to sit there and think as a single, what, this doesn't apply to me today, I should have come on a different day, but I want you to know, okay, hear this, to have a great marriage, it starts when you're single. It really does. And so today applies to every single one of us. And I thought since we're, we're talking about marriage, it might be fun to show you a picture from my wedding day. So I think it's gonna come up there, there we go. Just babies, right? Got the earrings in, looking good. Okay, I'm gonna bring those back here pretty soon. Maybe when I turn 40, I'll put those back in, okay? Um, but guys, this, if you haven't met her, this is my beautiful wife, Lisa. Just a phenomenal woman. You're looking at my, my best friend in the world. Been married going on 12 years. Yes, okay, got the, got the nod. Guys, the first thing you do is remember how long you've been married. I almost fumbled that one, okay? But guys, um, for those of you who are married, today, all right? I just want to encourage you as we continue to talk about marriage to think about your wedding day, all right? Think about seeing your spouse. Think about all the work that went into that day, like the songs, the, the vows, the, the exchanging of rings. I, it's, a, it's a good day for you to remember and think about. And guys, if you're here with your wife, just feel free to grab her hand, kiss her, and just think about and remember that day. As we talk about marriage, because we're in Genesis with the first couple that God creates, he initiates, and he facilitates the very first wedding in Genesis 2 with Adam and Eve. And while the Bible starts with a wedding, okay, we, we see this, it moves quickly from a wedding to a war. 
All right, then in Genesis 2, everything is perfect. We have this beautiful picture of a wedding. One chapter later, one page later, we're in the midst of a conflict, a war. That the story of Genesis is that the first couple, all right, Adam and Eve, they're married. Immediately, Satan, the enemy of God, shows up. He's on the scene and he moves his war from heaven to earth, from assaulting God to assaulting a husband and a wife. We looked at this in depth a few weeks ago at Genesis chapter three. If you missed out on that, go back and check it out. But sin has come into the picture and it's impacted everything. All of our experience of life, including marriage. And here's the truth for you to know, Doxa. Marriage is in the context of war. And and maybe you you hear that and you think like, that's kind of weird, but I just want you to think about it. I mean, Marriage is such a beautiful thing, but it's so hard at times. It's such a difficult thing to keep good. It's, it's really just a fight. And the reality that we need to know is that a spiritual battle rages between the enemy of God and his people, which includes marriage. I mean, if you think about this, I mean, Satan doesn't even show up and mess with humanity until the man and the woman are together in marriage. It's, it's happening. And many people, many of you that are Christians, you've, you, you've been around the church for a while, well, you know this theologically, you're aware of it biblically, but many people are not prepared for it practically. I think the church has done like a really poor job with like premarital counseling and helping people that they just have this thought of like, we're just going to get married and it's going to be amazing. And then all of a sudden you get a couple months in, you're like, what is happening? It's tough. And so what I want to do today is I want to share with you how to fight to have a great marriage. And the way that we're going to do this is we're going to walk through the Genesis 3 narrative, watching the first married couple. And as we do this, we're going to see four things that can make marriage really difficult, which are going to then show us four ways that we need to fight to have a great marriage. Okay, so let's get into this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Okay, so we looked at this in depth a few weeks ago, but Satan shows up on the scene with the first married couple and he begins to tempt them to sin, really just to turn away from God. And the way that he does this is he begins to speak lies to the woman, getting her to question the essential character, the goodness, and the provision of God, which ultimately leads her to doing the one thing that God commanded humanity not to do, to eat from the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil. That if you remember back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, God essentially had one rule. What was it? Don't kill yourself, right? Don't die. He says if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. But humanity doesn't listen, and this isn't just something that happened then, but we don't listen. Sin comes into the world, brings about physical and spiritual death, but here's what I want you to see, Doxa. As Satan is tempting and lying to the woman here, where is Adam? Look at verse six. 
He's with her. Now, what is Adam doing while all this is going down? Nothing. He's literally doing nothing. And this is the first thing that makes marriage difficult if you're a note taker. It's the passivity of men. And so men, I need to talk with you just for a minute. Ladies, you can listen in. But guys, I wanna talk to you. The root of most problems and struggles with sin that men face stem from one sin in particular that started here with Adam. But the great, greatest sin of, of husbands, of fathers, of men is their passivity. Genesis 3. Adam just stood there while Satan lied to his wife, dishonored God, and he just watched his wife directly disobey God. And if you've been in the church at all, all right, you, you've probably heard this taught, and every time the Bible is taught on this, a lot of times Eve gets all the blame for eating the fruit here. But I just want you to look back at this, okay? Adam just stood there and he did nothing. He took a passive role in leading them against the evil that was tempting them to leave God. And I, and I think in this moment, like Satan's kind of thinking, this is great, all right? That if I can just crack the marital relationship, if I can just get the man to be passive, to be silent, to be a coward, and just to sit back idle, doing nothing and saying nothing, and he'll just watch his marriage be ruined. He'll watch human experience be ruined throughout history. And this would be great. But Satan is thinking, if I can destroy the portrait of the gospel, which is a picture of marriage, this is Ephesians 5. We got into this last week. This is awesome. This is his plan. He wants to destroy God's good creation and his intentions. And through passivity of men, he in fact does it. All right, a pastor named Matt Chandler says it like this in his book, The Mingling of Souls. And I quote, this may sound really odd to you, but it's significant for the very reason that the Bible continues to tell us that the root sin plaguing fallen masculinity is the sin of passivity. It can be seen over and over again, walking forward from Genesis 3, whether it's Abraham's lying about his wife or Moses making excuses in reply to God's call or Noah's slump into drunken laziness after the flood. The list goes on and on and on. Pick a man who stumbles and falls in incredible ways and his sins always have a root in some fundamental passivity. The passivity is typically characterized by a refusal to step into what God has called a man to do. Now, when I first read this, right, I mean, I was wishing I had a helmet and a cup on. Right, guys? Because this is, this is hard. I mean, this, is, this hits us, every single one of us as men, because this is true. Adam stands there with his wife, totally passive, an idol, saying and doing nothing. And men, like I said, this is not what used to happen. This is what happens to so many of us today. We're passive. We are all Adam. This room is filled with Adams. And this lends to problems throughout our lives. But hear this, guys, especially in our marriages. And so this leads to a critical question about, about men, and it's this, is what is the purpose of a man? And right from the beginning of Genesis, we, we see the call on a man's life to work and keep the created order that God made. This is Genesis 1 and 2. And I, and I really want to stay away from kind of like the, the language and the word of, of leadership when it comes to men. Because the truth is, women can and do lead in significant ways. I mean, I've, I've watched this. I've seen women 
lead out in amazing ways. My wife Lisa and Amelie and a group of other women have led Doxa Women. I mean, Amelie is going to be speaking tonight to our, to our leaders of Doxa. Women are leading in a big way. But the idea that we see throughout the Bible is this idea of male headship. All right? And we can define headship like this. So if you look at verse 9, all right, Adam and Eve, they sin, they mess everything up. And then verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man. All right, and I need to explain this and I need you to understand this because God holds the man responsible for what happened in the garden. He holds the man responsible for what happened with sin and really just the condition of his family. And the question is, guys, like who sinned first? The woman or the man? The woman did, right? But who does God come calling out to first? It's the man. And so again, we come to the Bible and we ask questions and we ask, well, why is it like this? And Doxa, it's this. Adam was the head of his home, right? Which means he's responsible. In Ephesians chapter five and 1 Corinthians 11, the apostle Paul is gonna build his entire doctrine of headship for men here based on this account. It goes back to creation, God's intended order. And here's what it means to be a head. Guys, it means that you're responsible. All right, men, you are responsible for the condition of your marriage and you are responsible for the condition of your family before God. Now, the pervasive passivity in men will make many men say this, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I didn't, I didn't do it. I mean, in fact, this is what Adam did. Look at verse 12. He blames his wife for trouble. Right, that sin comes in, God's like, what did you do? And he's like, it's, it's her, it's the woman. And then Adam actually has the stones to say, God, it's your fault. You gave me this creature and she did it. So it's not my fault, it's yours. He points a finger. It's completely passive. But I want you to hear this, guys. Even if it's not your fault, it's your responsibility. This is headship and the role of a man. It's rejecting passivity, it's accepting responsibility. So in your marriage, in your family, in your home, there's gonna be things that are not your fault. A lot of things will in fact be your fault. You can talk to your wife and she'll give you a list, right? But there are some things that even if it's not your fault, it's your responsibility. Men, when we are passive, it will lead to the downfall of everything around us, including our marriages. I mean, I would submit to you This is one of the reasons why our world is so jacked up. Yes, it's sin, but it's bad men. It's passive men. It's men who do nothing and are cowardly and are insecure. And it's those same men that then swing the other side of the pendulum and they get really aggressive. And they're still cowardly and passive, but now they're asserting it in dominance. Both extremes bring what we experience in the world today. That's not who God created us to be. It's not. And it leads to just destruction of the world and in our marriages. So this practically, if my wife comes to me and, and says, like, I'm not happy, you know, I can look at her and say, well, that's not my fault. But guys, it's, it's my responsibility. If she kind of comes to me and says, I, I, I wish we had, I want something more out of our marriage. I could look at her and say, that's not my fault. It might be, but it, Even if it's not my fault, it's my responsibility. Men, marriages are falling apart all around us because men take a passive role 
in leading, loving, serving our wives. And guys, if you are passive in your love and your pursuit of your wife, you're setting up your marriage for failure. And it might be fine for a time. Like, you know what, you're just disengaged, like you don't talk, you don't, you don't do anything, you don't listen, you just kind of sit back, eat Cheetos, watch the Packers, drink a beer. And that sounds amazing today, right? But you get the point, right? If you're just passive, you're setting yourself up for failure. Eventually, it's gonna lead to problems. And I want you to hear this, okay? Guys, just because you put a ring on her finger doesn't mean the pursuit has ended. Many guys will pursue and pursue and pursue that girl until they put a ring on her finger and then all of a sudden you just go passive. You stop. We keep pursuing our wives just as God keeps pursuing us. And so men of Doxa, let me just plead with you, the greatest fight of your life is not lust. You might think it is, but it really is not. The greatest fight of your life will be rejecting the passivity that has infected your heart since Genesis 3 in the fall. That your natural default, my natural default, especially as it pertains to the sacrificial leadership and love for your wife, will be to sit by idly, doing and saying nothing. And if you do that, you just need to know that you're not being a husband. You're being a spectator. And this is not who God has created us to be, right? I mean, Eve needed Adam to step up and to step into that moment when Satan was lying to her. She, she needed him. I mean, Adam should have just stepped into that moment and be like, you're talking to my girl. Stop lying to her. He should have stepped up and said, you're dishonoring my God. Here's the truth. But he was passive, and it led to devastation throughout the world in their marriage, and we're all feeling the effects of it today. So guys, this is my plea for you, is just like, let's help each other not to be like Adam, but the second Adam, Jesus, who rejected passivity, who lived his life filled with love and sacrifice and service and action. Because this is one of the reasons why Doxa Men exists. We've been gathering for the last, I don't know, a couple months on Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. We have a couple weeks left. We'd love to have you. But we come here in this place to help each other be the men that God has created us to be, to reject passivity, to accept responsibility, to actually be men, not boys that beards. We want to be the men that God wants us to be. And we need each other for this. And our wives need us. And we need to step into these, being these men and become the, the husbands that our wives not only want, but need. Let's keep going. The second thing that makes marriage difficult is what we see in verse seven, broken intimacy. All right, verse seven, after this couple falls into sin, here's what ensues. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So here's what's happening. All right, sin comes in, sin causes shame in the man and the woman and they try and, and cover themselves. They try and cover their guilt and their shame. And while they can cover their bodies, they can't cover their guilt. This is what Jesus has to do. God sacrifices an animal later on in, in Genesis 3. We talked about that a few weeks ago, but look what else. Sin also causes separation. Because now, there is a literal barrier between the husband and the wife. I mean, before they were naked and unashamed, 
just a complete perfection in, in intimacy and relationship. There was just a, a oneness. But now they're separated from each other. They're covering themselves from each other. They're hiding from one another. And in this, intimacy is hindered and somewhat lost between Adam and Eve. And this is true. You need to know that this is true of all of us today, that sin causes separation. Not just separation between us and God, but us and each other, husbands and wives. And it's important for us to realize that intimacy is not our natural state anymore. It's brokenness. It's separation. That sin has changed this. And in the context of marriage, couples, just hear me on this. Without intentionality, without work, we will drift away from intimacy with our spouse, not towards it. So many people just think, I'm just going to get married and we're going to be best friends and it's going to be amazing. And then something happens. They don't work. Guys, to have a great marriage it takes works, and so many marriages fail because people do not put in the work. And when we think about marriage, there's essentially three types. There's a book called Real Marriage that lays it out like this, that there's really three kinds of marriage. You can think back-to-back, shoulder-to-shoulder, and face-to-face. All right, back-to-back marriages are, are really where just the couple is distanced. They're, they're in conflict. There's no intimacy. They've turned their backs on each other. They're not loving each other. They don't really know each other. They don't listen to each other. They're not talking to each other. They're just there. There's no working on their marriage. It's in a bad place. Chances are you've seen marriages like this. Maybe this is some of your parents. Maybe you've had the unfortunate reality that you've lived through and you're living through a marriage like this right now, it's not a good thing at all. It's back to back. Now, most marriages, many marriages, I would say, tend to be more shoulder to shoulder. And this is really just to say that you're basically coworkers. Right? That maybe marriage started off like with a good amount of like closeness and intimacy, but then like life happened. Right? You got really busy, you start like paying for bills and you got jobs and you got to take care of kids and for some reason you get pets and goldfish and all this stuff and you just get more and more amped up with just craziness. And you're accomplishing a lot in your career. But you're, while you're doing a lot, you're not enjoying the intimacy of marriage because it has got drowned out by everything else that is way more important than your marriage. That you're working in life, you're busy, but you hardly know each other. You're distanced. It's shoulder-to-shoulder work, like business partners. Now, I will say this, okay? A lot of marriage is, in fact, shoulder-to-shoulder work. All right? But if that's all you have, you're not going to have intimacy. You're not going to have the enjoyment that God intended and created marriage for. It's going to be lonely. You're going to be strangers. You're going to be just roommates that, that pass each other. And you're going to miss out on the great joy of marriage that God has intended. And so we want to strive for a marriage that is face-to-face. Right? This, is, this is like seeing each other. This is knowing each other. Looking at each other in the eye. Talking to each other. Being alone together. And I'll be honest with you guys. Like This is difficult for me. Like If I don't put in work in intentionality, I'm not going to naturally do this. All right, this is unplugging. This is stopping. This is being completely with your spouse, giving your life, your love, your affection, your attention to them, putting your spouse before your work. 
putting your spouse before your kids. Guys, this is the created order, right? I mean, we talk about like the order of priorities in life. It should be my God, my spouse, my kids, my church, my job. But so many people, we, we, we mess this up. We, we invert it, right? And we say, well, I gotta, I gotta focus on my work, number one. Right, we gotta pay the bills, we, we gotta do this. And then my kids, I gotta, be, I gotta be a good dad. And then I guess the church, that's a big thing. I gotta get the church in there. And then all of a sudden your spouse is at the bottom of your list and you wonder why there's no intimacy. Because we put work and we elevate so many things above them. And face-to-face, when we talk about a face-to-face marriage, this is the language in the Bible for friendship. This is beautiful. I'll give you a few examples. Genesis 32:30. This is what we read. So Jacob called the name of the place where he met with God, Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face. Exodus 33, 11 says it like this. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. This is the Bible's language for friendship. And I love how the apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He says this. Now we see dimly through a fog mirror, but the day will come when we'll see Jesus face to face. This is the language of friendship. And so very practically, to fight for intimacy in marriage, because here's what I'll tell you. You and your spouse need to work on being friends. You need to understand each other. And this type of friendship, it takes work. And as we work on our friendships with our spouses, we need to know that men and women generally build friendships differently, right? In general, Right? We're, men and women are just different. Guys, we, we tend to build our friendships more like shoulder-to-shoulder things. Right? Very rarely do I have like a, a guy that's like, you know, can, can we just like get together and I just want to sit and we can just see each other in the eye and just talk. And I want to hear how you're doing and really connect emotionally and maybe we just have a good cry together. Right? Not that, that, not that that's bad, right? But that typically doesn't happen. Right? In fact, there's an unwritten guy code that says if it does, you have to punch that guy in the face and never talk to him again. Right? But men are just different. That's the way we tend to build friendships shoulder to shoulder. Now, women, generally speaking, are, are different. They tend to build relationships more face to face. You know, Lisa will be like, I need some girl time. And I'm like, okay, cool. What are you guys going to do? And they're, well, we're going to go out. What are you going to do? Probably just talk, like sit around and like just see how everybody's like doing emotionally and just talk about life. And I'm like, wow, how long is that going to take? Probably like a really long time. I'm like, is this like penance for something? Like what, 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 what happened, right? <laughs> you know? But we're just different. And now that is a complete generalization, right? But you look into different studies from sociologists and you'll find men and women are different. We build friendships differently. But the point is this. We have to work for intimacy or separation and a lack of joy and love will be our marital story. And so ladies, if you wanna build intimacy and friendship with your husband, maybe you need to figure out what shoulder to shoulder looks like for him. Guys, if you wanna build intimacy and friendship with your spouse, you're gonna have to grow in face-to-face intimacy. It's not just enough to say, I'm a guy and I don't have emotions and we don't do that. If you want, you can, you're gonna reap the benefits or the consequences from that because your marriage is not going to thrive. We need to grow in this. You know, for me, this is one of the reasons I love taking walks. When it's nice out, we get the kids in their power wheels, they take off, they start playing, and Lisa and I just walk down the street holding hands and we get to talk. 
It's like a shoulder-to-shoulder thing, but it's building intimacy, and this is how we can have a great marriage. Bottom line, you need to know your spouse. What makes them tick? What do they love? What do they hate? What's their fears? What's their insecurities? How do they feel loved? And do that. Number three, Genesis 3.8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. The third thing that makes marriage difficult is this, hiding from God. All right, because when Adam and Eve sinned, doing the thing that God commanded them not to do, as they hid, they're ultimately deciding to do life their own way without God. And when we do this, guys, when we live, try and live a life without God, it just leads to devastation and brokenness. And this is not just about marriage and for you couples. This is about all of us individually. Okay, I just need to tell you the, the prime reality, the truth, that life apart from God is death. That when God told Adam and Eve that if they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that if they sinned, they would die, the truth is that we have all disobeyed God like this. Every single one of us. The Bible calls this sin. And every single person that you've ever locked eyes with, all of humanity has a sin issue. That we're all sinners by nature and choice. And we sin by word, thought, and deed. Everybody. And because of our sin, guys, we're all guilty before God and spiritually dead. And the sin in our lives has consequences that God, being holy and perfect, cannot be in the presence of sin. This is part of the reason why the judgment had to come that that the man and the woman had to leave the garden after they sinned because they couldn't be in the presence of God. It was also a gift by God's grace. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. But what this means very practically for your life is this is that if your sin is not mediated and forgiven, you will exist eternally separated from God, which is just the terrible conscious reality of hell. And we don't like to talk about that, right? But this is like me loving you enough to say, this is where our lives are at. This is just like us standing under the authority of the Bible saying like, You just need to know this truth. My job is to simply to tell you the truth of the Bible. Your job is to just grab it and figure out what to do with it. But guys, this is why Jesus is such good news. This is why Doxa Church exists. This is why we sing to Jesus, teach about Jesus, pray to Jesus, because he's our mediator, he's our savior. I mean, this is the gospel that our church and every Christian church that loves Jesus, the Christian faith is built on this. That while we were stuck in our sin, separated from God, staring hell in the face, Jesus stepped into the human story. He lived a life that I couldn't live, a life without sin. He dies a death that I should have died because of my sin. And through his resurrection, he accomplishes the thing that I could never accomplish on my own. Forgiveness of my sin and reconciliation of a relationship with God. Because this is the gospel that Jesus saves us. So every one of us, every single one of us, we need Jesus. This is why Doxa Church exists. We don't exist so we can help you with your marriage. We love helping marriages. We exist so you can meet Jesus. Prime reality. Now, when it comes to marriage, let me say this. Our marriages can be so difficult at times because we are all sinful people. That while Jesus has, has saved us from the effects of sin, 
Guys, this side of heaven, we will still sin. And the thing keeping you from thriving in your marriage is not because your husband is a bum. It's not because she nags at you. It's because of sin in both of you. You lock two sinners in a house and someone's gonna die, okay? And some of your marriages feel like that. I think Proverbs kind of talks about that quite a bit. And so very practically, if you wanna cultivate a great marriage, you can't hide from God, but you need to learn to run to him individually and with your spouse. A pastor named Ray Ortland, he says it like this, the first step in every marriage back to a real taste of Eden, perfection, is to stop hiding from God and to face our failures, deceits, and sins with utter honesty before God and each other. For us all, there is nothing more painful and humiliating than self-awareness. But honestly admitting how wickedly we have mistreated God, that is when our hearts start cracking open to his redemption. This is where God waits for us with open arms. And hear this. And any marriage, however troubled, can have hope when God enters in. Guys, so many people today try to build a happy marriage on a foundation absent of God. This is not the way marriage was created. And so it leads to issues. And maybe you're thinking, well, I've, I've disciplined myself to come to church. We have disciplined myself, ourselves to, to come to connection group. Here's my question. It's a big difference between coming to church and coming to God. Like, do you have a discipline in your life where you seek God, desperate for him every single day for his grace and his help? You need to start pursuing God together. And so maybe you're thinking like, okay, how do I do this? And guys, I'd say this. It's the Sunday school answer. Read your Bible. I mean, guys, read your Bible. Do you understand, like, reading your Bible? We hear this in Sunday school. You read the Bible, yeah, well, what else do I need to do? Guys, God meets with you. The book is about him. The book is him speaking. The author of life speaks to you. But so many people, so many Christians, we hear, read your Bible, and we're like, man, it's religious. And then you're distant, you're distant from God. You're frustrated because you don't feel like the way other people feel. And then you ask, get that question asked, like, have you read your Bible? Well, no. Guys, we have the great privilege of meeting with the God who made everything. You get to hear his words. How awesome is that? Yet so many times we don't do it. Pray. Pray for your spouse. Pray with your spouse. Because we get to talk to God and he listens. He's a father. And maybe you're thinking, okay, well, we've, we do that. We we read the Bible together and we pray for each other and together, like what else? Like things are still, here's what I say. I love the family of God. Within the church, guys, there are couples that are married and maybe there are a couple steps ahead of you and we have the great opportunity to find those couples inside the family of God and say, I need your help. Things are hard right now. What did you guys do? And if they love Jesus and they love you, they'll be able to help or point you to the direction that can. This takes works, we need to do it. This is why we put such an emphasis on connection group. Get into a connection group so you can be shoulder to shoulder with the family of God to help you. And then lastly, Genesis 3, 14. After the man and the woman sin, 
God pronounces judgment for their disobedience. And first, God speaks to Satan in verse 14. He tells him that he's going to get crushed, right? Amen? He's going to be defeated. He speaks to Adam in verse 17. And God says that his work is going to become very difficult. We're going to get into this next week as we talk about sin and work. But to the woman, here's what is said, verse 16. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. The curse of sin is another thing that makes marriage difficult. And ladies, I I talked to the men about our passivity, and and maybe you were thinking like, yeah, Rob, get him. Give it to him. That's my pastor. Give it to him, right? He needs it. There's a word for you here too, all right, that we're both like equal opportunity offenders, right? God says to Eve, because you've sinned, Life is going to get harder for you. All right, the things that you desire most, a loving marriage, good kids, that's going to be your source of greatest grief, that you're going to struggle with your kids, you're going to struggle with your husband, and you're going to struggle with frustration because of both of them. And God says to the woman, because of your sin, you're going to clash with your husband. Look back. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Feminine rejection of godly masculine leadership is a mark of the curse of sin. Okay, this is the same language used in the next chapter of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. All right, that Eve has two kids, Cain and Abel, right? And Cain ultimately kills his brother Abel. And before he did, God speaks to him. And God told Cain, Cain, sin has a desire to rule over you. Now, I want you to hear this. In the same way that sin wanted to rule over Cain, as a result of sin, a woman will now sinfully want to rule over her husband, rejecting his headship, seeking to be the head of the home, which is a disorder of the creation of God, but what Satan came to confuse and destroy. And we sometimes in our culture will say, well, that's very patriarchal, and like we're way more, we, we're more civilized now. And that's not it. I want you to know, guys, men and women are different. We talked about this with design. We have complementary roles, right? There's headship and there's helper, both equal, right hand, left hand, both needed. And we complement each other. This is God's good design. And, but in our head, like sometimes we, in our culture, like it's like, oh, no, that seems like a denigration. Like there's something wrong with that. It's because of sin. That's why we can't understand it. That's why some women will push against that because they have been around deadbeat guys, not godly men, who have led like Jesus. But it's complementary, harmony roles. And God is saying that Eve's created role as a helper fit for him will now be distorted into a desire to control him. That during the temptation, Eve stepped into her husband's role of headship and now that momentary impulse will become a broader pattern. And this is why today, that beautiful harmony of Eden with that first couple is not our experience. This is why historically there is quote unquote a battle of the sexes. Because we're in conflict with each other. We're not completing each other like that. Ortland says it like this, our beautiful wedding vow to love and to cherish is now shattered by the opposing forces of her grasping desire and his oppressive rule. The sad words of Genesis 3.16 predict our cycle of dysfunction 
Whether a wife, whenever a wife steps in to fill the void created by her husband's failure to care and provide, with the husband resenting his wife for the implied criticism of his own passivity and then silently or aggressively punishing her for it. So here's what I'll tell you. Wives, husbands, we will never get ourselves back to the garden by pointing an accusing finger at our spouse. According to the Bible, all restoration, all redemption, all help in every aspect of life, certainly with our marriages, begins with mercy and redemption falling down from heaven, from God. And maybe as you listen to this, like some of this stuff has helped you to make sense of of why your marriage can be so difficult at times. And you're seeing marriage more clearly in the context of war. And maybe you're encouraged even to like go home. You're thinking, okay, we're gonna get in the car. We're gonna have a conversation We're going to talk to each other, listen to each other. And maybe you're even like thinking, we're going to start working and focusing on our marriage. Guys, and that would be great. That would be amazing. But let me just say this. If you leave here primarily focused on your marriage, you're missing it. You need God. This whole story is not about marriage, but it's about God. Because here is the truth, Doxa. There is hope for a great marriage, but that hope is not you. There's hope and help available, and it's Jesus. It always comes back to Jesus. It's God's love in you and working through you. Guys, here's one of the reasons why I love Jesus so much, is that he helps me. That he doesn't just save me from my sin and my separation from God, but he gives me the strength and the power I need to live my life like him and for him. That God's grace not only saves you from your sin, but it empowers you to say no to sin. To live a life that you can't live by a power that you do not possess. This is what God does. God's grace empowers us and gives us the ability to really have great marriages The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, which we receive upon faith, gives us the power to reject passivity, to overcome separation, to build intimacy, to walk with God together, to fight sin, to find harmony in our relationship. He helps us. And he is the helper that every single one of us need. And he is the helper for our marriages that we all need. And so what this means, guys, if you want to fight for a great marriage, it starts with fighting for closeness with God. You need to love and focus on God more than you love and focus on your spouse, your kids, your work, anything. I tell young college guys all the time when they're looking for girls, they got their head on the swivel every time they come in the docks, and I say, marry a girl who loves Jesus more than you. And girls, I'll tell you the same thing. Marry a guy who loves Jesus more than you. Because when that happens, the love and the grace and the patience that you get from God will spill out into your life and you will be able to give that to your spouse. We all need Jesus to have a great marriage. We need to be in the Bible. We need to be praying. We need to be around God's people to encourage us, to challenge us, to tell us when we're being stupid, to lift us up, to help us. And this is not for the sake of being super religious. It's for the sake of life abundant that Jesus has created us to have. And so to remind us of the truth, guys, that we need Jesus and it's all about him. You guys got one of these communion cups when you walked in. I'm gonna invite you to stand up.